So we are in another week of our series, How to Get Unstuck. And so we were walking through the book of Romans. And so I just want to start out, we, we got a famous passage this week. And it's Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and follow. We're going to dive into that in just a second. But I want to tell you about a conversation I had. This is a few couple weeks ago. It was at a men's night. And a guy from our Orlando, Orlando campus came up to me. He's like, hey, can I, can I chat with you for a minute? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. So he kind of pulls me to the side. He's like, um, he goes, I've been a Christian for a long time. He goes, I love Jesus. Jesus means the world to me. And he said, I also, um, I, I teach a class at our, at our campus in Orlando. And, and he said, so here's what I want to talk to you about. I've noticed that when you start talking about the gospel, you get super passionate, Clint. Like you get fired up. You, you're passionate about the gospel. And he said, man, I, I want to be passionate about the gospel. And I, I get up and I'm, I'm prepared and I'm excited and I get up there and it just doesn't come. He's like, I, it's just not there. And he goes, it's not that I don't love Jesus. It's not that I'm not a believer. It's just, it just isn't there. And he's like, you got any thoughts? I'm like, well, I, mean, I don't know. I was like, the first thing that came to mind, I didn't say this to him. I was like, have you ever met me? Because I'm like passionate about everything. Like we could be talking about pizza or sports and I'm all in, right? So some of it's temperament. But the very first thing that came to my mind right after that was, I, I just started to think about it and I go, you know what I think it is, man? I go, I'm, I just recognize almost every day how broken I am and how much I need Jesus. Like I say things that I wish I didn't. I do things that I wish I, I, I wasn't. And, and it's that struggle and that battle. And I'm reminded constantly that I need Jesus and I need his grace and I need his mercy and, and his help and his hope in my life. And so when I'm thinking about that, man, I'm preparing the gospel. I think, man, I'm not the only person in the room that needs Jesus. We all need Jesus. And so, and I'm, I'm like getting fired up with them right in the moment, you know, and I, I was just going, I think it's because I'm honestly just more broken than you, bro. Like I'm just reminded of it all the time. And I think, I think that's what Paul wants us to grasp in Romans chapter seven. I think what he's saying is, is he's getting into our lives and he's saying, hey, do you realize how deep your sin goes? Do you realize how broken you are? Because that is the, that's the constant theme of the Christian life at times, right? Is that we are broken and the depth of our sin can be overwhelming. There's a popular phrase and it's, it says this, the closer you get to Jesus, the more aware you are of your son. The more aware you are of your son. I find that to be so true. In my life, and really all of Christian history. The closer people get to Jesus, the more aware they are of their son. And so as we jump into this passage in Romans chapter seven, Paul is gonna be using a word over and over and over again. I wanna go ahead and talk about it before we get into the passage. And it's the word I. So last week and the week before, we talked about how when, when Paul says I, he's referring to himself. And in verses one, to 12, he's referring to himself not as a Christian, pre-conversion, okay? And so now, and that was in the past tense. Now, as we jump into this passage, it's in the present tense. And so I'm going to argue before we jump in that this is Paul, not as a pre-Christian, but now as a follower of Jesus, a mature Christian, 
and naturally reading that he's, when he says I in the present tense, he's speaking about himself right now or right then. And so here's a couple of reasons why I believe that Paul is speaking as a believer in the present tense. And listen, there are Christians on both sides of this. This is where I land. But, but here's a couple of reasons. One is they go from the past to the present tense. Okay. Second one is the context. So if this passage showed up in between chapters one and chapters two of Romans, we would go, he's speaking of a person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. It would be clear. The context here is Romans chapter six and Romans chapter eight, and it's about sanctification. Okay. So you see this pattern of him saying, hey, I was this way and now I now am this way. So it's in the midst of sanctification. I think another reason is just the natural reading of the text. Like in my opinion, as I read through it, I go, he's speaking in the present tense. It's Paul speaking. And here we go. And it all lines up. I would say also, if you even thought that this passage wasn't a believer and Paul, this is Paul pre-conversion, pre-Christ, that you could read the passage and go, that's my life. That's my story. And all of Christendom, all of followers of Christ would agree. And so I think it matches the story of our lives. You're going to find yourself in this passage over and over again, whether you're a new Christian or you've been a Christian for years and years and years. It's also consistent with other scriptures about the internal struggle that takes place in the believer's life. Like we want to do good, but then we end up not doing good. There's this inner struggle as a believer that's consistent throughout the scriptures. And I think he's just claiming it now. And there's other reasons. And I'm going I'm to also talk about the reasons why people think it's not a believer. I'm going to handle those as we go through the text. So, but I'm reading and I'm going to interpret it and I'm going to apply it as if this is a believer and this is Paul. And he represents our story, our experience as followers of Christ as well. So let's jump in. Romans chapter seven, verse 14. For we know, so he's including everyone, for we know that the law is spiritual. If you notice, I put the word moral next to it. Paul is gonna change, I think, the meaning of the law throughout this passage. So I'm gonna put a word next to it to what I interpret him to mean. So that's not in the scripture, okay? But this is what I think he's actually saying. So for we know that the law, the moral law, remember the first five books of the, the Bible, the Torah, the commandments that came down from the mountain with Moses, the, the law of God, the moral law of God. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So why is he saying the law is spiritual? If you, if you haven't been with us the past couple of weeks, what we've been pointing out is, is that the law is actually good. The law doesn't cause us to sin. It doesn't force us to sin. It brings an awareness of our sin. Not only that, the law doesn't bring death, even though it brings condemnation over us, even though we're under the law pre-coming to know Jesus. Okay, but, but what Paul is saying is, no, no, the law is holy, and it's good, and it's righteous, and now it's spiritual. So we know that the law 
is spiritual. But I, so this is Paul speaking currently as a believer, as a follower of Christ, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. That sold under sin is what a lot of people will get caught up on. They're like, that doesn't represent a believer. Let's just pause for a second. I think the ESV is really helpful in its translation. Other, Other translations don't use the word under. But the, the word under, it's the Greek word hupo, which primarily means under. It gives the idea of a hypodermic needle that goes under the skin. So Paul is, this is Stephen Lawson, this is what he says. Paul is saying metaphorically that he has been sold under the influence of sin. He is still subjected to the power of sin in his spiritual life. That's, that's what he's trying to grasp. He's saying, hey, this isn't all of me. This is part of me. I'm in the flesh. I'm sold under the influence and the power of sin still as a believer. I still struggle with sin. I'm still broken. I'm still fallen. That's my story. That's what he's saying. Let's keep going. Verse 15. This is where we're like, yep. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Can I just stop there? You ever feel like that? Like you don't even know why you did what you just did? Like my daughter, I've heard her come to me and she's like, she said something terrible to somebody. And she's like, Dad, I have no idea why I said that. Like I, I love this person. I care about this person. I can't believe I said that. You ever been there? You don't even have to nod your head. I'm going to call you out. That's a yes, right? That's a Yes. For I don't understand my own ex. I don't know how I got here. And then as you sit in counseling or therapy or you sit with your friends that are other believers and you're unpacking, you're like, oh, that's why I said it. I had all this stuff going on. But at the moment, man, I don't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. Why am I acting like a fool? Why am I acting crazy? Right? Some of you are like, yep. So for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I can't stand this about me. I hate that I do that. Verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, the moral law, that it's good. The law is not the problem. It's what's in here. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. In theological terms, this is the term called indwelling sin. And so, man, don't we all resonate this? Like we know the good and that, that we should do, but then we end up not doing it. And let, let's just, before we get into the depth of this passage, let's just bring out some practicals. How many of you, beginning of the year, knew me, knew you, here we go, new year, new me, right? And we're like, all right, we're going to get in the gym. So first week, five days a week, you are on it, baby, right? Next week, it's three times. The next week, it's two times. The next week, it's one time. You're like, man, what am I doing? I need to cancel my membership. Like, I'm spending so much money. This isn't worth it. Like, you're going through all the things, right? Or, or maybe it's dieting. Like, you know what you're supposed to eat or not eat. And then what do you end up doing? You end up caving and eating. And like, if you're going on keto, you're like, all right, I'm going to cut out the the carbohydrates, I'm just going to eat heavy fat. And then you find yourself eating heavy fat. And then by the end of the day, you're done. And you're like, I'm going to eat carbohydrates too, right? Like, here we go. I mean, I know you feel it, right? It's not, just, it's not just the gym. It's not just dieting. Let's get a little personal. Maybe it's budgeting, right? You dial in, you get together, or maybe just by yourself. And you're like, all right, I'm going to spend this much on this, this much on this. Are we in agreement? Yes, yes. We are in 100% agreement next week. Man, you blew the budget in the first week. What are you doing? Right? 
You know the good that you ought, but you end up not doing it. And you're hating yourself. You're like, God, why do I do this every month? Right? Maybe it's not budgeting. Maybe it's your schedule. Like you go, all right, I need some personal time. Like I need to be, I need to be here and I'm not going to overbook. I'm going to say no. Right? And then somebody comes up to you. You're like, all right, I got my whole week mapped out. You know, Friday night, I'm going to stand. Somebody's like, hey, what are you doing Friday? I don't know. What do you want to do? Right? I mean, and then you get done. You're like, why did I do that? What's wrong with me? Right? Scheduling, it just all of a sudden overwhelms. Or, or maybe, maybe for you, it's rest. Like, you know the good that you ought to do. You know that you need to slow down. You know that you need to Sabbath. You know that, man, I don't need to check my emails this weekend. I don't need to take that phone call. I don't need to engage in whatever's going on at my job. I just need to put it up. I need to rest. I need to Sabbath. I need to be with God. I need to be with family. I need all the things. And then what happens? You pick up your phone. Oh, what email is that? And then you're headlong into your work again. You're not resting. You're not Sabbathing. Or maybe it's along the same lines. You're just like, all right, I just need to slow down. I need to be present. Like, I want to be present with my kids. I don't want to be on my phone or watching the TV or engaged in sports or whatever it is all weekend. No, no, no. I want to be here for them. I want to be present with my family. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe it's you want to be present with your friends and you're constantly somewhere else because you're just going, going, going all the time. You don't know how to stop. That's what Paul's talking about. But he's actually going even deeper. Watch this. He, he, he hints at this thing called indwelling sin, right? Let's look at it. He's going to summarize in a different way in verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Man, if we were going to stop there, you would go, okay, maybe this isn't a follower of Christ. But then watch how he qualifies it. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is particularly when it comes to my flesh, to my sinful nature, to my fallen, broken nature. Nothing good dwells. Nothing good happens. All the stuff that I don't want to do, I end up doing in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. There's that internal struggle as a believer. Don't you have that? I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You know what? Can I just stop there? Some of you in this room, you have this concept of Christianity that if you can't carry out, if you can't defeat the sin, if you can't battle this addiction or whatever it is, that you have all the shame and all this nonsense that falls on you and you are defeated. And instead of claiming victory in Christ and walking the steps through, you're just shamed out of your mind. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to open up because you are broken and you know how to get past it. You feel stuck in your life. We, we don't even want to read that as believers. And I think that's why people have such a hard time reading these verses and going, this is Paul as a believer. He can't carry it out. Doesn't he have the spirit? It's almost like we go to the Old Testament and we go, well, they didn't have the spirit. And so we see all these broken people. They're doing all this crazy stuff. And then we get to the New Testament. All we have is the gospels. And then it seems like everybody else is just balling it with Jesus, right? They have the spirit. Everything's easy. They're just living up their life. I don't know. Paul's saying, this is me. And sometimes, this isn't all my story, this is part of my story. I can't carry out the good that I know I should do. And my guess is you're in the room and you feel like you can't carry out these things too at times. It's not your whole story, but it's part of your story. 
but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do, verse 19, the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I just want to illustrate it this way. My daughter, one of them, was in uh, preschool, and they had this table lined up, okay, of crafts. And it was craft day, and so our daughter comes home, and she's crying her eyes out, okay? And we're like, hey, honey, what's, what's, what's wrong? Like, what's going on? What's the deal? And she can't even get it out. She's like blubbering, you know, like just crying, crying, crying. And she goes, I just, I, I just couldn't help myself. And we're like, oh gosh, like well, what happened? You know, like we didn't get a call from the teacher. I don't know what's happening right now. And she just couldn't even get it out. And we're like, is it that bad? Like, just say it, you know, you're getting all anxious. And she goes, I just, so here's the story. There's all these crafts. The teacher goes, Hey, listen, kids, here's the deal. We've got all these crafts on the table, and I don't want you to touch them, okay? We're going to do a couple of things, and then we're actually going to engage with the crafts, but do not touch them. So my daughter, I almost said her name. My daughter goes, Dad, here's the thing. We weren't, we weren't supposed to touch these crafts, and I, and I didn't want to, and, and I wasn't going to, but, but my hands, they just... They just grabbed for them. You know, I just had to touch it, Daddy. It wasn't me. It was my hands. That's the picture. That's what Paul's trying to represent. There's something deep down inside of us that it just grasps for. It just goes after it. It's the flesh. It's the sinful nature. And for some reason, as believers, we go, we don't have that anymore. We're in Jesus. We've got the Spirit. We, we don't operate in those things anymore. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying we do those things, right? I mean, think about it. If you deal with an addiction a sin struggle, something that you feel like you can't get past, but you are claiming and following Jesus. That's what it's talking about. Think about Abraham. What does he do? He lies over and over. Think about David. David sees a woman bathing on a rooftop across the street, right? What does he do? He calls her in. He has adultery. What does he end up doing? He ends up getting her husband put on the front lines of war so that he would go away because he had a child with her. It's crazy. It's horrible. We're broken. We're sinful. We fall short. Solomon. I mean, what did he do? He had multiple wives. It was like 300 wives, something crazy. The Corinthian church, if you just read chapters 4 through 7, you're like, oh my gosh. Like, they're just trying to sin. But, but Paul's saying, hey, as believers, we don't do that. You got to change. You got to work through this. We're broken individuals. But, but I, I want to go even further. Last week, we brought out this idea. Paul's speaking before he was a believer. And he uses a specific word. It's the word covet. Last week, we talked about it's interesting that Paul is a Pharisee who did all the right things on the outside seemingly. That he was convicted by coveting. Why? Because it was the one commandment in the Ten Commandments that's internal, that it meets us here. And so with that in the backdrop, just verses before this, think about this. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You think about those internal 
heart issues. Because some of you are going, man, I'm not like going off killing people. I'm not doing crazy stuff. No, no, no. Paul's saying, hey, as a believer, we are going to struggle internally. Matthew chapter 5 with lust, with hate. Colossians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 5. Just read through those and you're going to go, that's me. I envy. I have impurity in my life. I'm jealous. I'm greedy. Like that's a part of me. That's a part of my story. It's not the whole story, but man, I struggle internally with, with comparing, right? With, jeal- with, with all the things that show brokenness, bitterness, right? How many of you are dealing with that daily? My guess is all of you. All of you. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law. This is where I think he shifts the word. It's not just the moral mosaic law. So I find it to be a principle, a law or a principle, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Any of y'all feel like that? Like, man, I'm two steps forward and one step back, right? Like I'm going in, I'm going I'm to lead this small group. I'm going to jump into community. I'm going I'm to be encouraging to my neighbor. I'm going to do good. I'm going to carry out whatever it is. And you're you're heading it. And then all of a sudden you find evil is close at hand. Pride, right? Jealousy, maybe rage, whatever it is. But you find that evil just starts popping up. If you haven't haven't heard of John Owen, he's a long time ago, writes a book on the mortification of sin. It's all about indwelling sin. And he has this famous phrase, He says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Evil is right there constantly. If you want to read a a more popular level, somebody wrote a book, uh, and I think it was in the 90s, maybe early 2000s, a book called um, The Enemy Within, Chris Lungard. He wrote a popular level understanding of John Owen because John Owen's so deep. And so it's about 150 pages. J.I. Packard, all these people love it. It's super helpful. It talks about how to defeat sin and what indwelling sin and how deep it goes in our life. So if you want more on that, there you go. So when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law. There's that struggle. As a believer, we delight in the law, the moral law of God. And in my inner being, we've got this internal conviction, this internal drive of I want to pursue what's right. Verse 23. But I see in my members another power, another law, waging war against the power or law of my mind. And it makes me captive to the power of sin that dwells in my members. And so you, you, do you see this? When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And there's this internal battle, this inner being, waging war, making me captive. You know, what I, you know what I hear in that? I hear what Paul's saying is, he's saying, hey, listen, as followers of Christ, we are going to struggle with sin. And if we don't watch it, if we aren't careful, we are going to be killed by that sin. We are going to be subdued by that sin. That's what I hear him saying. I, I have this thing that I know I want to do. I, I'll give you an example. Became a believer at age 15. I was looking at things as a teenager that I shouldn't. I see a ton of victory. I walk away from that sin in Christ, right? Get into college. For about a month, I'm looking at things that I shouldn't be as a follower of Christ, okay? 20 years have passed, okay? Broken from that 20 years ago. When my wife goes out of town, 
I text seven or eight guys and I say, hey, my wife's going to be out of town. I just want some accountability. It's been 20 years. You know why I do that? Evil lies close at hand. I don't think of myself as too spiritual. I'm incredibly broken and fallen and temptation and all of the above. And if you want to know why I text seven or eight, you're like, that seems like a lot. Here's the reality. If you want somebody to hold you accountable, guess what? One, maybe two out of the eight are going to text me back. People are just busy, right? And so if you don't involve the village, if you don't involve community, if you don't involve other brothers and sisters in Christ, you're just doing it on your own. And evil lies close at hand. That's the picture. Are you aware of the brokenness and the depth of sin in your life? And then he he starts to wrap it up. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? If there was any verse out of this passage that convinces me more than any other about the fact that this is a believer Paul and not a, a Paul who doesn't know Jesus, it's this verse. He says, wretched man that I am, who will future tense in the future deliver me from what? Look at, look at the verse, the body of death. When are you going to lose your body? When does your body go away? When do you get a new body, a renewed body? It's when you die. Paul is saying, who will deliver me? Because I'm going to have sin all of my life. It's going to be present all of my life. Evil lies close at hand all of my life. And then he he picks it up with this. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, because he's my rescuer, because he's my savior. Notice Paul never forgets. He doesn't forget the fact that Jesus is the one who saves him. It's not him carrying out the law perfectly. It's not him bringing everything to the table. No, no, no. It's Paul saying, no, no, no. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to Jesus who died on a cross for my sin. I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. He didn't forget, and neither should we. We are broken, and we are in great need of Jesus. And so we're going to do something a little different this week. We're going to be receiving communion in just a moment. But I want you to go before God. First John says, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. And so take a moment, unload your struggles, unload your worries, unload your life before the feet of Jesus.